Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast which asks which movies are well worth watching and remembering for all time. Every episode, we discuss a different piece of film history to decide if it should make its way into our movie vault. Filled with questions, trivia, and crazy challenges, it's the perfect way to deep dive into a myriad of movies. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a glimpse of what to expect in today's episode. It sounds like the kind of chaos Craig would kind of appreciate in a way. <laughs> Slightly. I'm just more thinking, do we dare let Mary know about that scene? Because like, she might just be like, no, don't hit, hit your hands. I don't know why I did the Scottish accent then. <laughs> to be clear, Mary, I know you're going to be listening. That is not how I think you sound. <laughs> All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am the boss. I'll be back. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Well, good movies. Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that asks which movies are well worth watching and which deserve to be remembered for all time. I'm your host, David Osger, and I'm joined by my co-host, who, due to his own history of violence, cannot be announced with his real name. So please welcome my friend, Joey Jojo Jr. Shababadoo. That's the worst name I've ever heard. <laughs> the correct response to that joke. Craig, uh, ooh, uh, Joey, <laughs> how are you? Yeah, fine. I mean, it's ironic. You you talk about my long history of violence, and yet this is the first episode I've recorded in person with you for like quite some weeks. I was going to say history of violence against me, <laughs> but then I thought it'd be a bit of a conflict of interest if I was then introducing you into, like you said, the same room as me. <laughs> you you need to stop talking now. <laughs> Basically, that was a joke I was thinking throughout this entire film, uh, so I had to sort of creep that into the somewhere well it's good to see that this film was thought-provoking enough that you could only think about jokes for the podcast itself more just how my mind usually operates in which i could only think of simpson references uh but it did get me thinking actually in terms of like how you'd react to this film because i think when i've been looking back especially now that we're almost at our 100th episode but especially within the era of uh, these film suggestions each episode connecting to the next when i think of films that are suggested by other well good movies crew members or guests uh which then is your first experience of watching said film you don't have a great experience of enjoying those films uh especially i think within the last year i think there's probably more positives uh the year before but i think uh, 2023 especially so is this going to be another case of that or uh is this quite a sort of a turnaround I Look, I mean, I think we just have to find out at this point. Honestly, I I think it'd be more impressive if you were able to get any emotion out of me for this film whatsoever. Okay, well, that should make uh, VHS Corner interesting this week as uh, you'll be back in the chair uh, giving us some facts for that. So uh, excited for that, Bob, at least. <laughs> just another day in the office. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, uh, we are not alone on this episode. So also joining us is another member of the Well Good Movies crew, uh, but this time a bit less scantily dressed than he was for Rocky Horror Picture Show is Christopher Maxwell. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Hello there. How are you? 
And I'm glad I wrote that intro because it's true. You're wearing a hat now, which you didn't have last time, as we've established in uh, the hats yeah, journey now, within Well Good Movies. Now I'm wearing a hat and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> this is just you testing your friend now. If uh, if he <laughs> says that, why were you just wearing a hat? Then, you know, he's he's picked up on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm watching you tricking me with this, <laughs> this uh, psychic knowledge now you just listen to the stuff that i'm in which is a very nice way of terrifying me <laughs> you watch my stuff listens to my stuff and then taunts me with it i suppose it's a it's a nice bit of playfulness <laughs> in a terrifying way <laughs> it's my fault for just having a bad memory i just don't have a really bad memory <laughs> I don't know which you need a good memory for more, VHS Corner or the Movie Vault, because uh, obviously this means that you are helping us over on the Movie Vault, which is uh, your usual position as when you join us here. Uh, but I was wondering what you think the context of today's film should be in, uh, which is sort of the question in my head, without going too much into today's film. Do you think this is more a Cronenberg discussion or films of 2005 discussion? Hmm. So the film is still fresh, as I, I've not long w watched it. I decided to give it a nice full watch earlier. Yeah, I'd hope your memory is that is good enough for that, at least. <laughs> You're able to remember it for the podcast. In, in a way, I'd say it's probably um, it's probably more of a, a mid-2000s, because I genuinely forgot this was a Cronenberg film. Um, and then it was only when his name appeared at the very beginning, and I was like, oh, of course. And... I've watched a lot of David Cronenberg's work, but from the 80s, there's parts of this film where I was like, ah, that's David Cronenberg. But this did feel genuinely like a completely different uh, film for him and definitely felt like a mid-2000s movie um, in the nicest possible way. It's not me saying, you know, oh, it's it's very much of its time. No, it, it was more just the fact that, like, you could feel that, that the era that it was in. Um but uh, yeah, I won't give too much more away, away about it. So I'd say maybe a two thousands film. Okay, well, we'll uh, we'll get to it. We'll uh, expand more later. But yeah, I'm glad we got that that context over in the movie vault. Uh, but yeah, you're not alone in being a Chris on this podcast because we are joined by another Chris. Uh, which is our special guest this week, marking their second time on the show, this time actually talking about a full-length film. <laughs> it is film and music journalist Chris Connor. Hello, Chris. Hello, yeah. Oh, the last time it was two Christmas short films, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh... That's generous calling them. <laughs> Craig had specific opinions about uh, all of the other reindeer oh, yeah, and its uh, worthiness of being a film. It was that one and, oh God, Angela's Christmas or something like that. Angela's Christmas and Wish. Robin Robin yeah. as well. It was like yeah. sort of suggestions from, from the two guests on that one. I guess through that, we can talk about maybe the Christmas just gone because this is, you know, we're still in February. I can ask you how Christmas went only in the, the realm of movies because last time you did talk to us about Christmas movies. So at the cinema, obviously it was probably not the most festive uh, Christmas season for cinematic releases. Wonka maybe being the closest. How was how your kind of cinema going experiences in, in the what festive we have, period? Um, Christmas, I saw Ferrari, uh, which yeah, was like yeah, that was... the week before Christmas. And again, that's not very festive, but that was like a Boxing Day release yeah. here, um, which I enjoyed. Like, you know, nice to have Michael Mann back. Seems to have split people that one. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but. Didn't catch that one. No, I think that one has the weird thing as well of where I saw the poster and everything. I thought, oh, okay, yeah, you know, like biopic kind of 
true life film, you know, getting ready for Oscar season. But then sometimes when you see the posters with Sky Original on it, I'm always like, oh, <laughs> like that seems to be a new thing now with like Beekeeper and things like that, in which I'm like, oh, I'm not sure how to feel about this in terms of whether they are just up in their game as like a sort of financial backer or whether I should see these films as Sky Originals and so aren't very good. <laughs> it's a weird one because May, December was Netflix in the US. And that, um, mm. hence their, you know, big awards push, uh, which they've got a few Oscar doms. And then Ferrari, I think, got a wide release. I don't know if it's a streaming one in the, in the US. So both had like proper partners there. And then they just get lumped mm. in as Sky films here. Like weirdly, all of Steven Soderbergh's mm. films now go straight to Sky. And that's like mm. a proper director yeah. you'd think would be like, you know, in cinemas, like Kimmy was here, no sudden move, and then Magic Mike. So I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, we mentioned the yeah awards season, so um, I guess you're getting prepped now for uh, the Oscars in terms of like writing and just generally being a fan of of movies. And as you mentioned before recording, the BAFTAs have, have just uh, gone. So any particular thoughts on, on those or, or the awards coming up? Yeah, I think, um, and speaking of a journalist about this, I think it's one of the strongest awards for, uh, seasons in years because I think there's genuinely high, you know, there's a high quality threshold across all the films, to be honest. You know, Anatomy of a Fool, Zone of Interest, Poor Things, Past Lives. You know, these are all excellent films. And I feel like there's not one that's going to be like a Green Book or a Vice or something like that, where in a couple of years people go, oh, did we really nominate that for Best Picture? Um, Don't Look mm -hmm. Up was the other one. I think the only sh uh, shame is that All of Our Strangers um, hasn't really got any love outside of the BAFTAs. And even Andrew Scott didn't get an on there, which is, you know, when everyone else did. That was a bit weird. Um, yeah. The one I haven't Be seen is the... Are reflecting badly on Vice? Um, Adam, Adam McGay. I, I feel genuinely devastated to hear that. I don't know. You get corners of the internet who really don't like that movie. Um, but yeah, I think it's genuinely been a really exciting you know, season. And I like that obviously Oppenheimer did win quite a lot of BAFTAs, but outside of that, everything was kind of shared. You know, Zone of Interest had a few. Holdover's got a few cool things. So, you know, there isn't like a sort of runaway train. And I don't know if Oppenheimer's going to win quite as many at the Oscars because there's a few categories where it's like, is Paul Giamatti going to, you know, nip him to best actor and mm. things like that. And it just feels like more of a shared experience within film goers i think which is quite nice as well you want that nice balance of like a film that you know everyone agrees is awards worthy but isn't just there because it's a kind of like it earned the most at the box office which would also be the case for barbie i suppose as well so oppenheimer and barbie you know they both did very well but they both have like you know credible directors behind them had their success probably through the, the quality of their storytelling and their their productions um, so rather than like, you know, an Avatar or Avatar 2 kind of like nomination or years ago when the Oscars were saying they were going to have that kind of like popular film award and then quickly scrapped it. This feels like a nice way of saying that, you know, we're still engaging with the general public because these are like billion dollar films. So everyone did enjoy them. So people can watch this or see the end result and be like, oh, yeah, I have seen potentially, you know, the the best film in the oscars eyes of, of the year you know depending on what wins but you know i think that that that's a great aspect I, as well is there's a good variety i think the inclusion of both films is really good because i feel like in recent years because the numbers have dropped off you know the oscars because mm -hmm. maybe like the big blockbuster films haven't been nominated so having you know two or three that have done really well means there's going to be that audience interaction because people are like oh, i saw barbie i saw oppenheimer and um, you know even some of the other films like poor things i think has done pretty well um mm. killers of the flower moon did you know for a film of its type did, did well box office as well so you know there, there'll be that audience um interaction hopefully yeah yeah i think it's uh should be yeah definitely going to be quite a tough 
tough contest, I think, on the night. So that, that'll be interesting to see how it all goes. So in last episode, we were watching the film Step Mom, a film that... Why did I say it like an American? What, whatever, it's an American film. Uh, we were covering the film Step Mom, uh, a film that made uh, one of our previous guests both laugh and cry. So our end game was focusing on the funniest reasons that have made people cry about certain films. It was Mary versus Steph. Steph was the winner, but chose Mary's choice as she seems to have that power to influence a lot of people in that particular way. Uh, and this time, basically following her admitted lust towards Ed Harris, specifically his hands, uh, we went for the 2005 film History of Violence. So for those who don't know the story, this is the story of Tom Stahl, uh, a well-respected man who leads a quiet, charmed life with his loving wife and family in a small town. But when he kills a robber in self-defense uh, at the diner in which he runs, he is lauded by the national media as a vigilante hero. Unfortunately, the media spotlight also brings him to the attention of some crazy, sleazy criminals who recognize Tom as a former associate. Now, to protect his family, Tom must confront his secret history of violence. That is the genuine description on YouTube as I watch this film. So, as already mentioned, this is directed by David Cronenberg. Obviously not within his usual wheelhouse. He's much no, more known for sort of uh, weird body, uh, body horror-esque sort of films such as like The Fly, Crash, Dead Ringers, uh, even to the point of, uh, even in popular culture, anytime like somebody becomes uh, deformed, it's being described as like a Cronenberg sort of creature. Obviously, the most popular example of that is in, say, Rick and Morty, uh, where there's an entire world of Cronenbergs. Um, so writing credits for this one, this was written by Josh Olsen, but original writer's credits going to John uh, Wagner, Wagner, I don't know if the guy is German, uh, and Vince Locke, because uh, obviously this is based on pre-existing work. This was edited by Ronald Sanders, cinematography by P uh, Peter Zizisky, and composer Howard Shaw. In the cast, we have... Uh, as Tom Stahl, we have Viggo Morgensen uh, or Joey Cusack, as in the other character name because of the potential identity. Obviously, we know Viggo Morgensen from Lord of the Rings and already mentioned on this podcast, The Green Book, uh, a film that David forgot that he was in uh, before going into this. Uh, then also in the cast, we have Maria Bello as Eddie Stahl. We have Ed Harris as Carl Fogarty. We've obviously covered him last time. Uh, interestingly, um, with the Oscar nomination for this role, we have William Hurt as uh, Richie Cusack. We have Aston Holmes as Jack Stahl. And finally, we also have Peter McNeil as Sheriff Sam Carney um, as the notable cast for this film. Right. Well, uh, let's talk all about A History of Violence then from 2005 and ask the question of whether it deserves the honour of a place in our movie vault, our vault that encapsulates memorable movies for all time. So, as I mentioned, this is from 2005. So let's first look at the year the film came out. Oh, here we go. <laughs> to give us an idea of the time period it was made. And uh, get yeah. ready for him to talk about Hurricane Katrina, everyone. <laughs> no, thankfully, I'm just keeping it to pop culture this time. Oh, even though there, okay. There was a lot of tragedy in that year. I don't think it's reflective of the film or its context as to why it was made like other ones. 
But yeah, in he's a, learning. <laughs> hey, I'm saying that I thought other films were relevant. Uh, so yeah, 2005, the video sharing website YouTube was founded, where Craig oh has said Lord. that he watched this film. Yeah, so feel old yet, guys? <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, created by Chad Hurley, Steve Chen, and Jawed Karim. And uh, they were three creators, uh, which were all former PayPal employees and uh, came up with the idea for the concept. Uh, quite a f- funny as well, because last time we talked about how Google was founded as well. And obviously YouTube is a part of Google now as well. Uh, popular films of this year uh, were Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, Chronicles Narnia, War of the Worlds, King Kong, Madagascar, Mr. And Mrs. Smith, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Batman Begins, Hitch, Crash, Brokeback Mountain, Capote, and Walk the Line. So quite a lot of big uh, franchise fear there, but also some franchises which have come back into public consciousness in this year. Mr. and Mrs. Smith now having a series uh, and also other films, which I guess kind of share some DNA with this film in terms of like Capote, etc. Uh, and then if you look at music, uh, you had the likes of uh, Mariah Carey, Green Day, 50 Cent, uh, Kelly Clarkson, Black Eyed Peas, Rascal Flatts, Coldplay, Killers, and Keith Urban, which is uh, definitely there to represent some of the um, popular music in America at the time. Thank, thank you for specifying America. <laughs> so yeah, as uh, as we mentioned before, the time period is very relevant in terms of the type of film this is as uh chris decided on you know and, and craig mentioned it there as well is this is not within the typical wheelhouse of cronenberg so obviously as we mentioned we got two chris's here so i'll uh, specify which one i'm talking to uh by surname so uh chris c mm-hmm. uh for you, what what do you think of, like, when you think of this time period of, like, 2005 and, and when you watch this without giving your opinions of the film yet, you know, what, what sort of other films do you think are so similar or of that that type? For me, it was the first exposure to Nolan, really, because he had, like, that was a big era for him. You had Batman Begins and then The Prestige just after, and you'd had Insomnia mm. and Memento. So for me, that's four of yeah. his strongest films. All came out, you know, by the mid-2000s. Um, King Kong, you said... I've got fond yeah. memories of that one. Um, loved Peter Jackson. Um, yeah, I walked the line as well. I like that one. So I, th- I think it's quite a solid era for. And I, I think going back to what we said about awards, I think that was one of the periods when awards films generally perform well at the box office. Because I think Walk the Line for mm. a while was the highest grossing biopic. And I think generally, you know, um, Brokeback Mountain and things did well too. So yeah, as mad it's nearly twenty years old as well. This era we're talking about. Hella depressing. (laughs) But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, what you said there in terms of, yeah, that time period of like Nolan is quite a good example as well. Because when you think of those early films, you know, Memento, etc., it's more of that kind of like smaller scale, more independent filmmaker aspect to it, which I guess this has an element to in the sense of it's a scaled down film. But then you also have some sort of more big production values in terms of like the composer and some of the stars of this film so i guess at this time like with crash and things like that there's more of that amalgamation of like the two worlds colliding a bit more um which i guess now you don't have as much either you know when you look at what people would say is like the biggest films of the year we were just talking about like the oscars i think that you could look at something like oppenheimer and say yes even though that is still you know a director-led artistic vision it still feels like a big scale kind of large movie and if you looked at the most popular films of the year if you look at things like 
at the Oscar winners, like everything, everywhere, all at once, you know, they still have this kind of prestige and sort of scale to them, um, which has kind of like changed how, you know, maybe smaller films don't sort of get that, you know, that bigger kind of platform to stand on. I guess something like this would be more akin to like a streaming service now, potentially. I don't know if that's controversial. Because you've had like The Killer on Netflix last year Mm. and this totally maybe feels, you know, and David Fincher obviously was making thrillers in the mid 2000s as well. It's probably similar totally to something like that, I guess. And it probably would get a Netflix release now, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Chris Maxwell, uh, you obviously alluded to earlier about uh, feeling it very much was like a mid or northeast film. Uh, Looking at the the time period as well, do you think, as you mentioned before, that it has a lot of DNA within, yeah, the the sort of bleakness at that time or maybe the, the types of directors and filmmakers which were emerging at that time as well? Yeah, the... It's funny because I, uh, 2005, I, I sort of think like the films that came out and then we were just listing off some then. And I'm, I've, I've just sort of thought about it, that this, there was so much that came out at that time um, that just doesn't feel like it's 2005. You know, you mentioned, you know, um, there's a Batman Begins and it seems, but then you've also got like things like, like V for Vendetta came out and then and, and Serenity. And, um, you know, like, you got some mad things, like, like all these different sort of films, like Domino was one of those films that came out. So it was like one of those sort of action romps that sort of just happened in the middle of the sort of the 2000s. Then you got films like Green Street and films like Hard Candy and Brick. Like, it's such a diverse year of film. And a lot of these are films that I, that was sort of, when I was discovering in the mid 2000s, that was really changing my perception of cinema. And it's weird. I think there's a bigger disparity also, sorry to cut in, but I think that like, as you mentioned though, those blockbusters, I was thinking when I was reading them off, like, you know, Star Wars, Chronicles of Narnia, Harry Potter, it's like as if those and then the kind of more realistic films, you know, not to say that like they were all independents or anything, but it's just like this huge gulf. Like it feels like the summer movies and then like everything else, like whereas like now it seems like they blend in a bit more, you know, like I said, with Oppenheimer or even Barbie, et cetera. That's, that's exactly it. Like the, it's so weird to think that all these films came out in the same year. Like you, they all, all, they almost have an identity so big that they almost feel like they were in different years in a way. And that's not to say that these are like, you know, groundbreaking, amazing films, but it, it maybe it just says something to the way that we like cinemas marketed these days. You know, you talked about the idea of like streaming and how like I look at some of the films that are in that came out in two thousand five. I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of them had just in, if if streaming had existed would have just been plunked on that. Um, like this one, definitely this this feels absolutely like a Netflix original or some or some sort of a streaming uh, film, and it's not to disparage it, but it just feels like yeah, there's there's now such a big gap between the streaming films and the, and the Hollywood cinema uh, movies, mm. you know. And then, of course, there's the big blockbusters, the action blockbusters, somewhere in between that. Um, yeah, it, it, and, like, in terms of, like, of its time, yeah, I think a big a big reason this film feels very much of its time, it's less than two hours. This is a sub-two-year yeah. film, but it still it felt pretty packed. Uh, like, that, mm. that runtime doesn't, it doesn't feel quick. 
Um, there's a lot in it. And I think nowadays you'd be hard pressed to find a movie less than two hours. I think if this film was made now, you're probably looking at two and a half hours. Um, and a lot of that would probably just be long shots. And this film's got a few long shots in it and lots of moments of silence. That's what's interesting at this stage as well. I was saying to Craig before recording is that, you know, we're starting to see trends within the films that come up, but also trends from uh, people who suggest them as well. Like Mary definitely loves a kind of 90 minute film, which is kind of like a very sort of central characters, you know, very intimate sort of storyline and has like its sort of subtle themes and kind of like, you know, a dark underbelly to it. The fact that she has like Frenzy and Neon Demon uh, suggested in the past you know, this feels very similar to those in that sense as well, that it is like another hour and a half film, you know, with a, a sort of similar location, you know, you can get a view very much of a, of your taste, Mary, here with the history of violence. And a, and a one and done as well. Like this film, is there's no sequel, mm. there's no sequel bait, there's no um, franchise bait. This was a film that was made because this was the story that this person wanted to tell and it exists in it in, of itself. And it, it doesn't, it's, it's nice to sort of have a film that's like, you know, this is the story. This is all the story I want to tell. It's this this length. And, you know, you probably, maybe if you would ask him, there's probably stuff that was cut out, but there's no intention of this going any further. We're not going to learn more about, you know, Joey Cusack or, or, or the background or the gangsters or any of that world. It's all contained, self-contained. Yeah, I think um, I could definitely imagine in some way a film like this being made now and kind of having a character like this, oh, this team with John Wick and, you know, like, uh, and Reacher and, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it, it's almost as if it, it maybe wouldn't even become this kind of like sort of scaled down kind of intimate story. It would become like, like taken almost in which like, oh, and this make them more of a badass. The story yeah. is very similar to Nobody, the Bob Odenkirk film. Yeah. Like the beats are almost oh, identical. Yeah. And then obviously that's franchised and from the John Wick guys. So mm, true. I was thinking nobody and John Wick kind of do the same kind of beats, but then they've obviously both become big things. Uh, so it kind of shows how, if uh, you know, the same thing can be approached as like a you know a one and done, like mm. you know self-contained thing versus something that's expanded into this. You know, John Wick's like four films and spin-offs and TV shows now. It's like ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Chris Connor, do you think? Are you much of a, a, a Cronenberg guy yourself? Weirdly, the only other Cronenberg I've seen is, is one that is really connected to this one, is Eastern, Eastern Promises, because that's another okay, thriller right. and that has Viggo Mortensen in it as well. And that came out like a year or two after this one. So obviously they're quite good, probably like companion viewing. And again, it's like 90 minutes or 100 minutes. So he obviously went through a period of just doing thrillers in the mid 2000s. Yeah. But he's one, you know, a bit of a blind spot. I'd like to watch, you know, the like iconic body horror ones, Crash, The Fly, that you guys have mentioned, but just not got around to it yet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Chris Maxwell, what about, what about yourself? Yeah, I, I like a lot of Cronenberg's uh, works, particularly the stuff from the 80s, things like Videodrome, Scanners. I love The Fly. Um, and, like, there's still some ones I want to watch. Like, I want to finish watching Dead Ringers. Um and like, yeah, he's, he's got a quite a, his background is very much in that body horror style. And like a lot of his, his films were um, sort of that teetering on horror thriller. That was his mm. sort of style. Um, this is why this one stands out so much. And yeah, it makes sense that this wasn't written by him in a sense. 
because it's 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 very different to like his video drone uh, style movies, which all have a sort of psychedelic feel to them. He always had a sort of um, uncertainty to his films. There was always something very strange going on. Um, in fact, I think one of the most, um, aside from the violence in this movie, one of the most uh, Cronenberg things about this film, I'd say, is the ending. Um, just a True. very strange ending. Uh, a good ending. I, I like the ending of this film, but yeah, it's, it, that felt very Cronenberg to me. Yeah, I guess it's it's a bit similar to our conversation about Peter Jackson. Uh, you know, when we were talking about um, Brain Dead, we were talking about him as a kind of like more niche weirdo director before going into like you know massive big blockbuster productions um and not that Cronenberg has, has gone down that route but you know when you hear about then you know his more body horror stuff that's similar in t- terms of like what Jackson was doing you know back in like the 80s and stuff as well um and yeah The Fly is definitely one that you know has been on my radio for a long time wanting to see that because of like how famous it is within pop culture um but as Craig mentioned with his infamy you know, th- through things like Rick and Morty, I think that that is the main way I know him is just through his name and just like what he is known for and, and the, those big projects. So yeah, going into this, I didn't sort of have much major expectations for him as as a director. Guys, I'll, I'll level with you. I was kind of bored by this. I like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just sort of hate on it because I don't think it's a film worthy of just hating. Like there's nothing... There's nothing really wrong with this film. It's just, I, I don't know. I think I was just sort of underwhelmed because I think that it, it's ironic because when when Maxwell was saying earlier about the you know if this were made in this day and age, um, wait, was it Chris Maxwell who said this? Was it Chris Connor? <laughs> Yeah, I think, it, I think it was me. I think Chris. I should have just said Chris. They're becoming one. Been, you could have been saying. No, <laughs> basically saying about like if it were made in this day and age, it would be like like over two hours. I think it was was you, Maxwell, right? Yeah, well, me, yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah. I got that right. Then. Chris Connor's just going to put on a black hat at some point and just going to blow Craig's mind. Oh no, it's when I have to do the scoring for the end game later. It's yeah. going to be a nightmare. <laughs> we'll use pseudonyms like Joey Cusack. That's what we should do. <laughs> yeah, true. No, but when you were saying that, uh, yeah, when you were saying that the film, like, if it were made in this day, it would be, like, closer to, like, two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. There was a small part of me that just thinking that the elements of the film that on paper I would like. So I, I like the nature of the story. I like the idea of the of the fact it seems to be building up, like, an, an aspect of this mystery. Like, is this actually, uh, is this actually Joey or is this, like, some weird sort of conspiracy? I felt like they just needed to actually be more instances in which these things sort of played out. I think that the fact that it's sort of crammed, not crammed together, but the fact that the film knows that it needs to like have moments to sort of let these thing, things linger, but then doesn't try to break them up. It just seems to like moment linger, moment linger, moment linger. Um, it just meant that I just, I just wasn't thrilled. Like I thought that, the first set of uh, gangsters were sort of taken out of the picture way too quickly compared to like their inception. Or what do they do? They go and see him in the diner. They drive past him. They, they, they freak out the daughter and then they just go like, okay, yeah, we're just, just picking up the sun. It just doesn't feel like they do anything that menacing to actually drive up the tension significantly. I felt they needed to be say one or two more instances with one of them being like a major instance before we then get to the sort of sun, you know, double 
double both taking them uh, taking them out etc and then obviously um the reveal of his identity and like the small fallout of that and then actually going back to like his brother etc they're all ideas that i think work it's just i don't know it just never it just never gripped me specifically um i will say like i i did try and make jokes of the film to try and like sort of entertain myself the only things i could get to sadly the film made one of the jokes i was going to make about it for me so i was like oh well you've stolen that from me now thanks mm-hmm. it's when it's when um the son just goes oh what do i call you now and i just went i'd assume dad mm-hmm. and then it went well you can call me dad so i was like oh yeah he said it and then the other one is we we don't solve our problems in this house by hitting people no we just shoot them hits his son so i'm like oh fantastic good to see uh consistent moral messaging but that kind of reminded me of uh, Stepmom from last time in a way of like, you know, bringing up like very on the nose lines and especially yeah. like the whole like child reacting to parent of like, you don't walk out on your mother. She's like, no, that's your job. And then so it's like this was like the 2005 uh, Viggo Mortensen version of that <laughs> with the, you know, like, I, yeah. you shoot them. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think writers assume that teenagers are a lot smarter and wittier than they actually are. I think the the majority of I, I don't know if it's just because I've lived in Britain where the majority of comebacks is just like shut up you nonce or <laughs> um but yeah that's sort of my my stance on this like I I was just like okay this film is happening I I acknowledge the things happening uh, I think the second half of the film gets slightly weirder I mean like I, I'm sure there'll be a moment where we talk about the awkward stair sex but I I was watching that all going on I was like why is this happening. But yeah, just I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate on this film because I don't think anything fundamentally wrong with this film. Um, I was just not entertained. Fair, Chris Connor. Uh, what what do you think? Is this going to be a complete three sixty? You in agreement? Somewhere in the middle? I really I really liked it. I mean, um, I kind of agree with the comment on the middle set of gangsters being kind of dealt with a bit too quickly because I was like, oh, this is going to go somewhere, and then suddenly. They go as quickly as they, you know, they showed up. Um, but generally, I thought it was great. There's kind of probably from the Howard Shaw school. There's like this kind of tension throughout because you obviously don't know like what's going to happen next. And I quite liked how sparing the action was because it's called a history of violence. We don't actually have that much violence in the film. There's maybe like three or four mm. scenes of short, you know, short brief violence, and that's it. Um, but it's more about kind of you know how it just gets, you know, stuck in, in people's history and how, you know, it's always going to catch up with you and things like that. And I thought it was just, yeah, it's pretty intelligent. Um, and there were a couple of bits where I was like, you could tell this is a Cronenberg because um, I think it's in the, the diner when they break in and he shoots the guy in the head and like half his face mm. is suddenly like missing. Yeah. I was like, that's grim. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And it. the guy he like punches, like he uppercuts in his nose. Cause I had to like rewind that because I was like, is his nose now gone? I was like, cause I was looking at it. I was like, no, he just sort of like, you know, breaks it and like shifts it. But then when he's on the floor, it almost looks like it's like off his face. <laughs> it's just like, but I think it was just the angle in which he was at. But yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. Comparing it to something like now, I feel like there'd have been a lot more action. It'd have been a lot more drawn out. So like John Wick, you know? Mm, yeah. It's the same kind of plot, but there's just so much more action in it. And I feel like this is effective because there's less action and there's, there's then more yeah. tension between the family um, that other films might not have, like, you know, focused on. They could have gone like, oh, he's action man, he's going to take out 200 gangsters. Whereas this, he's, like, probably confronted with seven guys in the whole film. 
mm. or something like that, you know, probably a bit more, but yeah, it just felt gritty, grounded, and yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, yeah, I was thinking, doing watching it, thinking if it was made now, you know, how how would that change the film for better or worse in the sense of like imagining a film made now in which it would be this bonkers or, you know, kind of like gritty kind of like violent final act in which like, you know, it's, it's all or nothing. And, you know, like I need to protect my family and they come away, you know, drenched in blood and they've killed like, you know, a million guys. And, you know, it's like this whole shootout or something like that. So I think, yeah, part of me was like, I'm glad it isn't that. And, you know, it isn't just repetitive because a lot of films you can see now do kind of feel formulaic in that sense. And you watch it thinking, I feel like I've seen this. Um, but then there is also the side that Craig was saying in which sometimes it does feel quite kind of underplayed and a bit, you know, it's building this grand scale, as you said, with the Howard Shaw score, um, but doesn't always like hit then that kind of tension is trying to build up. Um, for me, I, I think I, I like this all fine. Um, yeah, I wasn't so bowled over by it. Um, I think that I was sort of on board with with some of the decisions, some you know, some of the acting I thought was nice. There was some like interesting messaging um, throughout. Uh, but I, yeah, I was just a bit mixed on like the decision of just some of the narrative choices. I think that I liked its kind of like intimacy and that it wasn't too overblown. Um, I like the sort of way that, you know, Viggo Mortensen's character sort of like dips in and out of this character um, of like his previous version and his current sort of life. I quite like that. You know, I think that it's an interesting angle to take in terms of looking at this like kind of small town family and how it's affecting them. And I think I kind of preferred the story in a way of like, how does a man who's just like kind of humble business owner who has to become this like violent hero, not so much like the fame side of things that, you know, we've seen plenty of things like that, but how does that sort of violent act change him? I think I kind of like that idea, but in a way for me, some of the tension was taken away by the entire title of the film, A History of Violence. I was like, there was a lot of this, like, are you this Joey? Have you done these horrible things? And even by the, the fact that he did, you know, sort of spring into action so much at the diner, I was like, well, I'm pretty sure that this is all true and that we are just waiting for this, you know, unveiling of the truth. So, and I think weirdly, you know, usually I'm not one who's quite critical of like a choice of composer, but I felt that like Howard Shaw was maybe the wrong choice for this. And I love Howard Shaw, you know, like his music for Lord of the Rings is fantastic. And I don't know if it's just because I've heard that that so much, but I felt that again, if I was looking at it through this 2024 lens, if this was made today, I don't think that Howard Shaw or a composer like that would be chosen because it felt like, again, this kind of 2005 tendency to kind of make it grand scale with some production elements, but still have it be quite low scale and indie. And I just didn't think that that quite melded. I think you need to choose your lane. And I think when you've got like a big stirring score and an orchestra and there's moments in which like bring in the violins and there's all these violins when it's just a man in a field, I'm like, this would work fine with just a piano or just one violin. It's like, so I don't blame Howard Shaw. I think it's like, you know, he, he probably did what they kind of asked of him, but I, I just feel like it just needed to be scaled back. I just felt like it was too grand, too fantasy, like too sort of like epic for what was quite an intimate, smaller story. Um, I didn't think it sort of serviced it that well. Um, the ending, 
I think like Chris, I do respect it and I do appreciate it, like the very, very end. Um, but I did feel that the actual kind of final act, the sort of confrontation was not as good as the kind of stuff with Ed Harris's character. I felt that maybe that should be the end of the film. I felt the stuff with his brother just kind of amounted to nothing, really. I didn't feel that there was all that much menace um, or payoff for any of that. So, yeah, I was quite mixed. I, I liked the style of it. I liked some of the performances. Like Craig, I thought some of the stuff with, like, the kids and stuff was a bit on the nose. I did like some of the, the sort of commentary and the representation it had there. But there was some odd choices, especially the fact that the film opened with these two criminals as if like you were going to follow them or that that was going to be a bigger part and then when i sort of got to the end of the film i was like why were they introduced in that way when they just were sort of killed like 15 minutes later you know especially because that violent act wasn't all that much of a centerpiece of the film but yeah that, that, that that's my sort of thoughts uh chris maxwell what what, what do you think see uh, to be to be fair i think all, all the things you guys have said are very fair points because like it's it's, it's such an interesting sale of film. I think the point, the sort of thing they were trying to go for with the idea was that this is all just a series of unfortunate events and there's no glamour to it. Uh, I think, um, mm. Chris Connor, you made a really good point about like the, there's very brief moments of violence, but they're very violent and they're very brutal. Um, and then it's sort of, they sort of like, there's like punctured in really suddenly into this, what feels like a very like, it's like a family drama and like a, a, a life drama and yeah like it, it was i think the problem is it, it's pretty obvious from the off that it was definitely this joey Tuesday. Mm. it's pretty obvious but i think having just rewatched it then and re I, I think a point that i think the film really needed to hammer home was the point that i think it, it, it is where it did fail i think he needed, they needed to really hammer home that he didn't want to be this Joey Cusack anymore. Like, he really didn't want to be. Mm. But everything just kept bringing him back to it. Um, it's funny, those first two criminals, like, that opening scene lingers on them so long and what they end up doing. But then, they, yeah, they're just gone. Um, yeah. And then it's that sort of, that's the inciting incident to bring in Ed Harris's gang. Um, mm. And then, yeah, by towards like, a, like nearly two thirds in he's gone and then he finally goes and sees his brother because he did all these things just keep leading him back to him and i think in the final scene i think what they really really needed was a moment of him to just just be like look you don't understand even my family doesn't understand i don't want this anymore i'm trying my damnedest to move on and i think that's what the film was missing um the, but the reason I liked that ending is that he does go home and then there's that awkward moment of the family all being like, oh, well, what now? And it does mm. it, it does sort of end. But I think what we really needed was more of, of him really being like, no, I don't want to be this anymore. Because I think that's what the point of the film is. He definitely mm. doesn't want to have this history of violence. And in a way, I think the film loses where the film makes mistakes is that like, it introduces these characters and then they're gone. And then it introduces these characters and then they're gone. It's got a bit of that Game of Thrones, Walking Dead problem where it's like, <laughs> oh, who could this? Oh, he's dead. Oh, but that, yeah. oh, he's dead. And even then, right at the yeah. end when he's with his brother, oh, he's dead. And I think that's, that is, I think, a bit of a mark on it. I, and I, I sort of get what they were going for. Like, the people will just die and it's over. But yeah, um, 
overall, I do still enjoy the film. I think it's it does have very effective. I think it's very effective use of violence and is no glamorousness to it. And I like the fact that uh, uh, Tom, uh, Tom or Joey uh, Viggo Mortensen's character is so ruthless and dangerous. And mm. when you see that version of him, particularly after the fight scene or the, the shootout in his own front garden, that's the moment where you properly see the real Joey. There's that real moment of like, oh, this guy's a fucking monster. Like he's absolutely yeah. dangerous. Um, but it's nice that it's only glimpsed. Um, there's some other, I think there's the, the moment where his son fights the bully. That's a mm, yes. powerful moment because that's again, that's sort of, oh, is it, is it, in, is it really just him or is it something that's in his family? Is it in his DNA? And yeah, I know you touched on it as well, Elliot Craig, the, the awkward stare sex scene. Um, for years, I did look at it as like, this is such an odd, out of place moment, but it's weird having with the context of her lying to the police officer, Sam, and the way she says, F you, Joey, to him on the stairs. Mm. I get the vibe that there's a part of her that's kind of into this. Yeah, and it sort of goes back to right at the beginning of the film where she's wearing the cheerleader costume. I think maybe there's mm. a part. She obviously doesn't. She's yeah. pissed off at it, but there's a part of it that used that on him. So that scene, for the first time probably since I've ever watched it, that scene actually kind of made a bit of sense to me. Um, yeah, I I like the film. I think there are definitely some missed opportunities with it, um, and. Yeah, I, I do think I would have liked a better final confrontation with Richie. That's definitely a big thing that I would have liked. Yeah, I'm glad you said about the, the sun scene because I thought that what it felt to me like that they sort of were building up but then don't ever really give a, a major payoff to, which I think sort of feeds into the, the dynamic that you said should have happened with with Tom, that he really doesn't want this violence, is that they needed to emphasize as well that he doesn't want the violence specifically because he doesn't want his family to get in on the violence as well, right? Like, he comes down hard on his son for beating up that bully and getting suspended purely because he was just like, look, violence is just not the action uh, answer here. But then obviously the son has to kill one of the mobsters in order for them to be fine. And then nothing is said of this ever again. Like, I thought it was, they were building up to the idea of the son now seeing, like, violence as a legitimate you know, bringing it more in and then there has to be like some like final, you know, breakdown of why violence isn't the answer. You know, some moment where sort of Tom emotionally broke, breaks down. This is like, it's, you know, this is what violence does to you as a person. These are the sorts of things that it turns you into. This is why you can't follow the same path of me. This is why you can't have the same history as me. Hence, history of violence, which is why I thought, oh, maybe it could be about like, just that dynamic instead of just lol you that guy i know yeah you are cool yeah that's why i thought that potentially with the two guys at the beginning that's where the connection was going to be that they were like a part of this gang or that there was some sort of bigger organized string uh you know like a string of crimes or like a bigger organization which were kind of going around and i don't know robbing banks in small towns or something like that um or which were just psychos but you know and i thought that maybe that was the connection that they were like you've killed one of our guys and again i think it goes back to what we were talking about last time with stepmom it's like choose a lane you know it's like 
you know, I think if it's going to be small town guy who has to become hero and has to sort of become this violent man, which he doesn't want to be, I think in some ways, I think that's a more interesting story and more fascinating to explore, especially for what they've already established in terms of the family has very much a kind of like different approach to violence and how to like disperse the situation as we see with the son, you know, he kind of disperses the situation with the bully in the locker room in a very clever way by sort of like using his smarts against, you know, the the bully. And, you know, I think that then that I think would have then worked better for then how you were saying, Chris, maybe of like, you know, him not wanting to have this, you know, that sort of resistance on the character. I think you could have gone down that line. It could have been that like the whole reason that these gangsters come in is because they were connected to the original criminals, which is why you see them at the beginning. And it's just about this man's sort of resistance to become the violent character or even the hero maybe that the sort of media in the town is sort of coaxed him into be and maybe sort of the final confrontation could have been more about the town about him protecting other people something like that see if if it went into that i think that would be going into the trope of of just like oh this just seems to be going too grand yeah if it's like we have to protect the town from anarchy yes yeah i can get that if i may there's one thing that i definitely would have done i would have just made ed harris's brother I think that would have been much more effective because then he's now a family member too. It is, like you said, Game of Thrones, it would be the hound and... <laughs> the hound and the mountain, yeah. That would have made the more the more realistic. Because I, I, I think the problem with the scene at him being like, oh, we just want to go for a drive. I almost feel like, it's like, why do you want to take him for a drive? You could just kill him. Don't you want to kill him? I feel like if they had made... And that's no disrespect to... Um, um, William Hurt. William Hurt, yeah. Because no, I think he was great. Oscar it? nominee for this role, William Hurt. Oh, wow. That's why I did say earlier. I'm surprised which, nobody reacted which, to by it. The way, uh, yeah, I, I should touch on that. That's mental. And he did a great role, but it's so brief that he got the Oscar nomination for that. That's pretty mental, to be honest with you. But I, I almost feel like it, it may have made things more effective if Ed Harris had been his brother, he'd been Richard, and they'd had well, certainly falling out. It certainly adds to the, the dynamic of him denying denying his uh, identity, right? Yeah. Like after a while, when even the wife is just going, "He's not this guy." He's like, "Yes, he is. He's my brother." It might be, you know, quite sort of soap opera esque sort of reveal, but mm. I think it adds another level of like tension. Sometimes Oscar nominations, uh, as probably you would see uh, Chris Connor as well, in terms of what we we're talking about, BAFTAs and Oscars. Sometimes it can be kind of like there for the the career of somebody or even just for one specific scene or something as well. Like here, I felt that like the introduction, well, obviously in some ways he only really has one scene, but um, he only, he only has this. Yeah. But like just specifically like his introduction, like the sort of like way they embrace each other, etc. I don't know if like they even people sort of like were very drawn in by that and were kind of like, liked his sort of confidence and his kind of like cockiness. Um, and they were just alone in that with like, yeah, you know, this, this deserves nomination for just for that. Um, it's a really random one. Um, needed to check who he was up against. Yeah, it must, be one sh- it must be one of the shortest noms in terms of screen time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, we have George Clooney for Syriana won that. Jake Gyllenhaal for Brokeback Mountain. Paul Giamatti for Cinderella Man. Uh, Matt Dillon for Crap Jesus. So there's not the highest uh, threshold quality wise there. 
but compared to screen time, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal will definitely have a lot more over him in terms of uh, so, yeah, I think screen time. All the other nominees are probably in you know a good chunk of their films, not just one scene. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, he won an Oscar as well, um, William Hurt. So what you were saying about it being for the career is is weird because he'd already you know he already got one, but I can't really just justify why he got nominated. And um, I think if anyone deserved the performance for me, it's is it Mario Bello. Yeah. Um, I think she probably has the most kind of work to do. Mm. She kind of goes through the emotions of you know the the sort of structure of their relationship and. Um, yeah, I, I just think she probably has the showiest performance in the film. And obviously Vigo as well. And Vigo did get a nom for Eastern Promises, which is obviously his other collaboration with Cronenberg. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's what I thought was interesting, as I said, because, you know, again, like being this kind of like time in which you would get like Lord of the Rings, you know, he is coming off of that. Howard Shaw is coming off of that. So again, was that a kind of reason as to, you know, putting those two in there and it kind of distracts in some ways with the Howard Shaw part which i was talking about but yeah i think also you know to go back to what i was saying about you know the the choosing the lane i think it's equally i think craig is right is that yeah it could lead to a very chaotic crazy ending which you wouldn't want so alternatively it's like do you just go all in on this like other life he wants to escape aspect and then through that just take out all the stuff with like, you know, maybe the son and these other criminals and just f- purely focus on him trying to escape that life constantly. And that being maybe through the other suggestions you had Chris there about, you know, like simplifying things with the brother, etc. I think that, yeah, it just seemed that like it, it wanted to tell both in which it was like, he's the simple country man who doesn't want to like resort to violence. But then he is also this like very violent man who has like a very like bad history of violence and we don't really know as to why. And we're just told a lot of the time, like, oh, you did some crazy stuff. And it'd be like nice to see why he left that behind or yeah. how that's creeping in more. And I think you did get elements of that. Um, and yeah, there's definitely the, the stair sex scene, uh, which also sounds like they're staring at each other. But, you know, the staircase. Um, I think that that is, yeah, definitely an interesting commentary there on the kind of like attraction to a bad guy um and something there that is referring like you said chris to earlier with the cheerleader scene in which she says you know like oh you you know you bad boy or something like that yeah i think that the fact that you know i was watching it thinking oh which way are we going here are we going for like a potential like assault scene here or is this kind of going to be what it turned into which was then kind of like given into it because again this seems to be some kind of like lure and attraction to it but obviously regardless of sex there's still she's kind of still pissed off with him essentially and i think that that's what's interesting about the ending that does tie in nicely with that kind of stuff is that like yeah this is our life now and i'm still not happy with you and you know the the lies that you've told but these are the demons that we have to live with and potentially that would still be an element of their relationship um, is that kind of like giving in to sin, which is something that he is doing in a way is like giving in to like the kind of like violent tendencies that he's previously had and that that's what she's bringing through in that, you know, sex scene that they have. But I'm not sure if I would agree with the interpretation of he's giving in to the violent tendencies. It does seem very much he only does it at the point where literally everyone forces his hands. Yeah. Well, I would say in terms of when he does, though, it's like very 
elaborate and you know kind of like violent he's not doing it in a kind of like restrained kind of like i'm trying to keep as many people unharmed as possible no but sometimes or, you know, the it's only like, way it's like which... jackie chan style sometimes yeah it's but like, sometimes you know, the only way in which you are able to minimize that is by being as like let's face it as sophisticated as he effectively is right especially in situations where say you know people are holding guns to various people's head yeah. you kind of do have to like work in a certain amount of speed and aggression to be able to get the kills effectively so that nobody else does get harmed so i think he is actually being restrained because like because mm. otherwise he would just continue if he were just literally lashing out he would just continue attacking anyone who comes near him i think at the point where like the threat is over he just immediately stops so i do think it's actually quite restrained yeah i guess it's more just in between like i said it's but also like... i just see it like a mode right like yeah um at the point where you you can control like going in and out of the mode but then just whatever happens in that mode is just like over the top and elaborate right i see it a little bit like a jekyll and hyde situation that situation which is what again why i wish they would choose that lane then if they're going for that is to show more of like you know why he's escaped that life as chris i I agree with i agree with that i'm just saying i don't agree with the interpretation of he's giving in he's giving into sin yeah i think the the film is I think this is where the, the, the final scene with his brother does shine. And it's one point that I said when I was watching it with my partner. You realize in that moment that he's actually not the crazy brother. It's Richie. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. the more dangerous brother and the more effective killer. But Richie's a psychopath. Richie's just happy to watch his brother die for the sake mm. of, of, of the business and, 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 the fan, and the greater good of the business and, and being a ma- mafia guy. And in that moment, though, he really richie fails to realize that joey is a big killer and that's why joey wins in the end but yeah once he's done he's like i'm done and then he goes home to his family this broken man because he just had to go back and kill his brother when all he actually wanted to do he even says it to him is he wants to make peace i think he, yeah the what makes it so and again i think this is where i think the film could have shown a bit more his mm. wife's embracing the violence in him because she has that that's brutal thing from the stairs. His son is embracing the violence by beating up his bully. Which I was fully on board. I gotta say, way. yes, yeah. Yeah, that kid was being a dick. Um, and he, there was no reason to do that. Uh, but then, but, the, but it's that sort of thing of like, there's this poor man desperate to get away from all this. And yet for some reason, people are, attracted to that and in order for him to really fully get rid of that in hopes that maybe just no one will come after him anymore he has to kill his own brother and that's a really tragic moment that i think for me this is kind of why there's a part of me being like i kind of wish ed harris maybe even richie they'd all been brothers if they'd all been part of this crime family and they'd all fractured and as a result, uh, Joey left, Richie moved up, and Ed's character's name, his character, just sort of floats around doing small crime. And in the end... Uh, Carl. Carl was his name. So yeah. I almost feel like had they all been connected, because I know the connection was that they were rival gangsters, but it almost feels a bit incidental towards the end of the film. But it is, it is still, you know, as we said, a fine film, but I feel like, yeah, maybe it is missing something. And and I feel maybe that's like a, a villain who's in it for all, all the way through. 
so maybe like Ed Harris being a brother, because we have these guys at the start, then we have Ed Harris and the other guy in the middle, and then we have his brother at the end, but there's no one who's kind of there all the way through. And I feel like it loses momentum because we're constantly being introduced to new new people who were then dispatched quite quite easily. Like there's no real sort of sense of threat that perhaps there should be. Okay, take those cassettes, rewind them and play them again because it's time for VHS Corner. So what I'm going to do to start with, because obviously this is a very serious, very sort of, as we've described it, gritty, grounded sort of film. Uh, I'm just going to destroy that with the very first fact. And this is the first fact. This is the first time that I've come across a fact for a film, not specifically from IMDb, but from a YouTube short that came up immediately after I watched the film which is that during the the first diner scene where Tom meets Carl and the other guy, basically that scene where they meet and have the sort of conversation about like Joey, et cetera, et cetera. uh, Viggo Mortensen could not stop laughing throughout all of the takes. So it became incredibly hard to sort of um, shoot. They had to re-record it several times. It got to the point that as well, Ed Harris, his character was sat down for so long that in the end, he just did the scene in his pants aka his underwear um like he's just literally sat there because of how Viggo Mortensen was behaving that's why you just do not see his legs it's very intensely focused on his upper half in those shots but yeah he's just sat there without any trousers on um and that's those are the shots that they actually use in the film itself so in those scenes where it's like quite tense it's just like you know, I'm not, I'm not this Joey. He's like, yeah, we, all right then, Tom, etc. Yeah, he's, he's basically just bottom half close to naked. Um, bit weird. But now on to actual nudity with the stare scene. So it's good to know that Cronenberg was a bit concerned about this scene because uh, he didn't want any of the actors involved to be heard because obviously, you know, staircases, not well known for the body to, you know, rest on uh so we actually did contact uh his stuntman to ask if they had any pads to be able to soften the stairs the reaction of the stunt the stuntman was to basically laugh the reaction he got was just laughter he said in 20 years of doing this job no one has ever asked me to have pads for a sex scene um so in the end they weren't used for most of the scene however the next scenes after this show the ramifications of this which is that when you can see uh, the character Eddie naked in bed, uh, there are several bruises on her back, many more of which had to be covered up by makeup. So if you really want to embody the uh, the history of violence, that is one way you have it there. This is the part where I usually talk about casting, and I like to talk about the people who weren't in this film. Sadly, there weren't many of those instances. I know that Harrison Ford was one of the people who was up for the role, um, but then for various reasons, didn't get it. However, this is the part where I want to talk about how Cronenberg didn't really seem to trust the actors he actually had to do the backgrounds of the characters that he wanted justice. Because originally, the mobsters were meant to be Italian-Americans, you know, living up that stereotype. But in the actual film, uh, they are uh, Irish-American. Because obviously you have, uh, like, uh, the surnames basically connoted, right? So... Um, this is because once Viggo Mortensen, Ed Harris, and William Hurt were all cast, 
Uh, he didn't think they would make convincing Italian-Americans, which is obviously funny given the fact that Viggo Mortensen goes on 13 years later to appear in Green Book as an Italian-American. And people thought he did a very convincing job given he was nominated for an Oscar as an Italian-American, as like one of my favorite lines of that film only works because he's Italian-American, the entire Lake Titicaca scene. I don't know why I'm directing that at David. He doesn't remember the film. So according to Bart Beatty in a book called uh, David Cronenberg's A History of Violence, Cronenberg didn't know that this movie was based uh, on a Paradox Press slash Vertigo Comics graphic novel until after he signed on to direct. This is a bit of a problem because he has stated that he does not care for superhero films or comics, feeling that they are all adolescent at their core, no matter how dark, edgy, or in- intelligent critics and fans alike feel that they are. But thankfully, the comic is uh, the comic is not a superhero comic, as with most books published by Vertigo, so he's able to do it. Um, that probably also is where he gets some poetic license to do some of the more graphic body scenes, like with the face coming off, etc., um, because of that background but yeah quite funny that you don't actually do the research into what it is that you're adapting and finally and i think this is only fitting for the segment but the film was released for home viewing in 2006 on vhs widely believed to be the last major instance of a film being released in vhs format so what better fact to talk about to finish off vhs corner Perfect, perfect. <laughs> well, that's possibly one of my favorite ever facts, just because of the the synergy there. Yeah, YouTube started and VHS ended. It's uh, it's the circle of life. <laughs> YouTube killed the video star. Oh, very good, very good. Chris Connor, any uh, any major sort of standouts there apart from the death of uh, VHS uh, in those facts? The Harrison Ford one's interesting. Um, yeah, because he's quite a lot older than. Vigo, I want to say like a good maybe 15 years. So mm. would they would the character have been, you know, would the like familial situation have been different because he's not as he'd have been in his 60s when this came out, I guess. So is it believable to have him like with really young kids? I don't know. I think they would have pulled off more of the kind of uh sort the checkered of past. Yeah, and the sort of hardened kind of grisly country guy angle as well i think the like hide in that you know because i think vigo mortensen comes across as an actual like really nice genuine guy which is like the the good mask that he puts on but then when he kind of goes into joey more you're like oh i don't know if i want you to kind of be more like this jekyll and hyde in terms of like do something crazy like he goes into like a kind of new york or philadelphia accent more when he goes into it more you know play it very very differently i think harrison ford would have had more of that kind of like element of like this is my past and I didn't want to bring it up and, you know, that kind of thing. But, but at the same time, I wouldn't have also wanted to see Harrison Ford's ass. I wouldn't have wanted to see Harrison Ford's ass oh, on yeah. a staircase <laughs> having sex with his, his wife. To be fair, I think it would work insofar as that. I think with the with the kids, given that uh, he's, like, definitely sort of mid-teenage age, you know, high school, yeah, etc. It could work. It could, work. Could, he could pull off being, like, you know, like, you know, uh, conceived when he was in his 40s sort of era yeah. Um, and then basically just has to play late 50 as opposed to early 60. Yeah. Age up the daughter um, maybe. Age up the daughter slightly um, but then yeah like I think it would it would be especially quite um, 
I'm going to use a phrase I used earlier, but adapt it. Uh, Nancy to see him having sex with his wife dressed as a cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's interesting as well that it's based off a graphic novel because in some ways I can see that those sensibilities and just the kind of rhythm of the story and the end again is almost comic book-esque in the type of you know framing and that idea of like and now the last segment in which the hero goes faces the villain um and it's kind of like these kind of frame by frame sort of moments of like you know the fight in the office and then the fight outside but it reminded me this film of the road to perdition as well in terms of again that kind of like you know being forced into like a, a checkered sort of past protecting your family um you know people sort of dying around you um, and I think that is, you know, in my mind, the sort of better film, um, which that is famously, you know, adapted from sort of like a graphic novel comic series as well. So didn't know that this was, but, you know, I can see how that was, again, a kind of a theme, a, you know, a trend at, at that time, as Chris mentioned earlier as well. It's uh, Viva Vendetta was out this this year in terms of having you know, more sort of dark, gritty stories. The other thing you talked about with like Ed Harris being in his pants, which really, really funny. Um, have you ever seen the the famous press conference about this film with Ed Harris? No, no. There's a famous bit Ed Harris did in promoting the movie where he's asked the question, "What what what is violence?" And he basically proceeds to just start smack slamming his hand on the panel desk, flinging his pen around, being very aggressive, being like, "That's violence. That's violence. That's wow. what the movie's about." And it's. <laughs> It's ne- he's never really addressed it or talked about it, but it's been this very notorious piece of, of Ed Harris history that people are like, what, what, why did he do that? Why did he we are, act that way? We are creating like an Ed Harris timeline now of being like, you know, was he attractive during the late 90s with his hands? And then like, why did he do that <laughs> at this weird press conference? What is that? What is that? You know? It sounds like the kind of chaos Craig would kind of appreciate in a way. <laughs> Slightly. I'm just more thinking, do we dare let Mary know about that scene? Because like, she might just be like, no, don't hit hit your hands. <laughs> Loving the Scottish accent. I don't know why I did the Scottish accent. <laughs> I don't think I meant to. I think it's just where my throat is a little bit sore at the moment. I think it just sort of morphed. <laughs> More impressions. To be clear, Mary, I know you're going to be listening. That is not how I think you sound. <laughs> <laughs> I do, however, think that's how you would react yeah. to watching this scene. We talk about um, you know things being memorable then, so we'll now get to our section which is the movie vault so for anyone new to the podcast we'd like to think of this as our time capsule of memorable movies for someone to dig up in the future so should a history of violence from 2005 gain the honor of a place in our movie vault and be remembered for all time uh so i'll go to chris maxwell first as uh, somebody who's got lost experience vouching for movies and sometimes just saying nah <laughs> what do you think about a history of violence going into the movie vault so I, like I said, I, I did like this film. I do think that there's there were some missed opportunities with it. Um, I kind of want to now go and read the graphic novel. Um, now and then it, repeatedly slam a desk yeah, after you've read it. Like, that was a history of violence. That was a... <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the thing, there's, I think what this film does capture in terms of the idea of, of a history of violence and the idea of what violence is, is it, it's not glamorized. It doesn't. It's not. It's not like what they do with these badass 
you know, he's got a dark past characters, which is now the new trope, the sort of the sort of badass ultraviolet heroes, which is the, the, the sort of new trope. Now, this film is not nice, it's not pleasant, and it it and the violence is very effective because of that. Um, but I don't think this is a perfect film. I think there were certain missed opportunities with it. I appreciate it for the fact that they made it and it's a one and done. And I do actually think the performances are really good. I do, um, and I do enjoy it. I think it's a decent film. Do I think it belongs in the vault? No. Um, mostly because there's far better David Cronenberg movies out there. Uh, and I think there are better movies that tackle this sort of subject. Um, you know, I, I'm sure, like, you know, this idea of, like, unglorious violence, you know, this this miserable sort of history that we have. And I think there are probably better versions of this out there. Um, so, sadly, I, I don't think this uh, film should be in the vault. Yeah, I, th- I think I have to agree with what you said there in terms of, like, there being better examples, um, you know, some of which have already been mentioned. I think, you know, again, even though it's indicative of some elements of 2005, I think there are other examples of that as well. Like I said, not so much uh, representative of David Cronenberg's work. And yeah, I think while it is like great that it's like within 90 minutes, you know, you always sort of welcome a film that doesn't sort of, you know, it doesn't outstay its welcome. Um, it sort of tells its story like quite effectively within that time. Um, but I think, yeah, there's just a, f- a f- bit too many sort of like sort of gaps. I don't want to say like, you know, plot holes or anything, but there's just some slight missed opportunities, some sort of like uh, the sort of theming and kind of like messages of it, I think could have been a bit more focused. I think it is very strong, very powerful by the end and at the, the beginning of what this is. But I think there's just some things which kind of like muddy the waters slightly. And I think it could have been a bit stronger Um and a bit more powerful, you know, using certain techniques to, to do that, whether it be through music, through other characters, through its setting. Uh, Chris Connor, I thought, you know, you, you sort of looked shocked when uh, Chris sort of said he didn't think it should go in. No, do you disagree? I mean, I, I would have said yes, but I think on the things we've discussed here, yeah, it shifted my opinions. Like, I think no as well. I mean, I do like it probably more, slightly more than you guys, but I think the kind of inconsistent holes with it, kind of holds it back from being a, a great, you know, I think the potential's there and it gets close, but there's just something, you know, a few, a few things missing for it to be like, really, you know, stand out. What What do you think originally would have made you say yes before all um, this conversation? I, well, I just, I just think the, I hadn't really figured out, you know, Ed Harris's stuff before, you know, about them not being, mm. you know, and then just on reflection, thinking, you know, the, <laughs> the fact not, he was in his pants, you were like, nah. No, not that. It, it's more the, the lack <laughs> of an overarching villain, I think. Which watching it, I didn't yeah. think, but then you sort of think back on things. You thought, ah, oh, actually, okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I think there's just a few small things. So, so I still, I still liked it, and I'd watch it again. And you know, I'm glad I watched it, but I think there's a few things that stop it from from going in for me. I would also point out as well, Chris, that you did say that you thought that Eastern Promises were the better film. Yeah, I mean, I think as a pairing, they're quite interesting because obviously there's they're both uh, Viggo Mortensen. And Cronenberg, Howard Childers, both. So, so like as a pair, they're pretty good, um, but they kind of tackle completely different subjects. Because he plays a Russian hitman in Eastern Promises, and it's set in London, so like they're not you know that similar tonally, but they're both obviously about kind of you know criminal gangs and violence and things like that. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully we get to cover that in the podcast in the future. Uh, Craig, I, I assume you, you agree. Look, I said that I was bored during this film. Like, I don't know why um, we think that this is going to have some profound impact on me later down the line. Um, look, if there are going to be better films that both represent like these sorts of themes, as well as work from this director, um, even the actors go on to do more memorable things, even though William Hurt kind of glad you got an oscar nomination i guess um but yeah like it's it's just not the sort of thing that i think is memorable enough for me to come back to so i just don't think it'll go in okay so yeah unfortunately uh, a history of violence from 2005 does not go in the movie vault sorry again mary <laughs> that uh, we we weren't on board it's it's a good film it's just not good enough and i yeah. think yeah. That's the best way I could say it. It's not a bad movie, and like David said, it's not it's not full of plot holes, but it's I think upon reflection, it's a film that leaves a lot to be desired. Um, yeah, it's not but, a film that inspires hate. No. In in the reaction, so we're in the end game now. Okay, end game time. So we've had the history of violence. So this game is simply called the real history of violence. Obviously, there are lots of true crime drama films out there uh, that follow like the uh, the stories of various murderers, various criminals, uh, various ne'er-do-wells, we should say. Um, and I thought it would be interesting if I could see how many of them were memorable enough to you guys that I can simply just say the name of the person who has inspired the film that you can give me the film name itself. That's basically what the game is this time. I'm going to say the story of X, and I want you to tell me who that is about. Clear enough rules? So who is it, who is it based upon? Who is it about? So I will say who that person is, and then you have to say what the film is. Oh, okay, so flip it. Okay, the first thing I The first thing I need to clarify, because this is going to be fastest first, is how you guys are going to buzz in. So, Chris, <laughs> don't. What I want you to do is I want you to think of a one-syllable word that is in some way crime-related and then basically shout that out as your buzzer. So, uh, Chris Maxwell, your buzzer would be... One-syllable, oh God, um, crime-related, uh, gun. Cool, so we have Maxwell is gun and then Chris Connor. Oh, gun's what I was going to go for. Um, I don't know. Knife? But is that... Uh... That's a longer word. Sure. That's a longer word, but okay, yeah. Well, I mean, it's still one syllable, right? Yeah, so yeah. let's go knife then. Cool. So we have the classic fair fight of gun versus knife, but as always, we need to find out what it is that we'll be playing for. So this will determine the film that we'll be joining again once we've concluded our 100 episode uh, specials. So we will be talking about whatever film is chosen, but not for a while just yet. So, all of us have a suggestion, and we're just going to go through uh, and just listen to little brief summaries and sort of snippets of what we could be in store for if your film is chosen. So, Chris Maxwell, tell us a little bit about your choice. Uh, my choice is a Cronenberg film, uh, and it is a tragic love story Um of uh change greed and also a lot of body horror okay 
Interesting. David, tell us about yours. So uh, my film, The Connection, is mainly looking again at the title with history of violence. So that got me thinking, okay, well, if we look at history, when has there been a lot of violence? So I'm once again going for a war film, which I think we haven't discussed uh, much on this podcast before. But I didn't want to sort of make it quite bleak and quite dark. So this is a sort of dark comedy um, and definitely has an actor in it, which sort of brings up the mood of any film, an actor which I'm surprised we've, again, never talked about. Uh, This film is from uh, 1987, and I, again, I think looking at the history of violence, I think adds a lot of interest in uh, looks at warfare, violence, and, you know, how you can sort of bring light and uh, good commentary to that. Okay, so we have David's uh, Dark War film... From then, uh, Chris Connor, tell us a little bit about yours. Yeah, so mine's from uh, Peter Weir, Australian director. It's from 1985, and uh, it has Viggo Mortensen's first appearance as a very uh, young actor. He's not a main part in it. And it's uh, a detective um, investigating a crime in a rural uh, Pennsylvania community, um, basically having to live with um, people in this community and uh, kind of adapting. And uh, it has uh, Harrison Ford's only Oscar nomination for this film. The two actors we talked about. Yeah, so there's a couple of, <laughs> couple of nice links to uh, to this one. Okay, excellent. So we have the rural drama from 1985. And finally, we have my suggestions. So I, I sort of have three reasons for this film that I want to put forward. So my film is from 1979. So the only film not from the 80s. In fact, not from 95, 96, or 97, as have been suggested by... Did you say 95? Sorry, 85, 86, 87. So yeah, the three reasons for my film film suggestion. One, I feel that given the time of year that this film sort of covers will match or coincide well with when this episode is eventually going to be released, whether that be before or after this particular event, uh, I think it's just good timing to sort of talk about this film. Um, somewhat symbolic. Two, I feel that we've kind of gone down the sort of route of the most the emotions sort of being sort of sad, sad feelings, sort of uh, fearful feelings, just sort of a dark mood. And again, want to sort of like have like a dark edge, but in a very, very, very lighthearted way. So this is a a sort of dark comedy in areas. And three, and this is the biggest link for me, the film that we just covered potentially was building up the suspense of is this a case of mistaken identity or is this the person that we're talking about the film that i'm talking about is the biggest story ever of mistaken identity and people sort of buying into the idea of an individual as someone that they really aren't and all of the things that can go with this i think david sort of realized what my film is that's my film choice will it be chosen i don't know it very much depends on who wins this game. So you, so whoever wins, you can get your film choice, you can choose each other's choices, or you can choose one of mine or David's choices. So, we do need to play the game. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Number one. This is the story of Frank Sheeran. Knife. Is it the, the Irishman? You are correct. It is The Irishman. Number two. This is the story 
of Sonny Von Burlo. Don't know this one. No, I, I can't get it. No. The name rings a bell, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. So that was a reversal of fortune. Yeah. How the wheel of fortune went bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously joking. <laughs> okay. No, ready for number three? Mm-hmm. Go for it. Go for it. Cool. So for this one, we're going for the story of Truman Capote writing about the killing of the Clutter family. Knife. Chris is that um oh is it capote it is capote yeah you were slightly going to fall into because the there's also in, the in the cold book, blood isn't you? there which is the book it's based uh, yeah that's the book that yeah. he is writing in the film capote oh good <laughs> i've seen i've seen capote quite recently so i'm glad i got got that and was listed in the films of 2005 as well yeah. okay number four this is the story of john dupont and the wrestling brothers Mark and Dave Schultz. Gun. Chris Maxwell? Um uh, oh God, no. I've literally just forgotten it. Because I never know I know Mark and David Schultz, but I mm. three, two, one. Damn. Sorry, you are timed out. Yeah. Any idea, Chris Connor? No, uh, because obviously it's out at the minute. The only wrestling thing I could think of was the Iron Claw, but it's obviously not that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not the Iron Claw. No. Uh, if I said that John Dupont was played by Steve Carell and one of the wrestling brothers oh, was played by Fox. John Cena, Foxcatcher is it? It is Foxcatcher. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. I was going to say the wrestler because I was just like pulling. I've seen Foxcatcher as well. Oh, that that's a glowing recommend. Uh, recommendation no, no, I like I liked it, but I just uh, wouldn't have thought of it as a true crime film in the same way. I guess, but fair. Okay, number five. This is the story of Jordan Belford. Oh, knife. Uh, it's the Chris Wolf Connor. of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street. He, he is indeed the Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, hopefully I don't need to say what crime was committed <laughs> in that story. Number six. This is the story of Elliot Ness, who is trying to oh, nab uh, knife. Al Capone. That's yep. uh, the Untouchables. Yeah, it's the Untouchables. Well done. That's one of my favourite films. So, so <laughs> yeah, I'd be angry if I didn't get that. get that one. Then it's always that moment of when somebody's like, "That's my favourite film," and they didn't get it. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. all right, are we ready for the next one? Mm-hmm. All right, this is the story of spree killer Charles Starkweather and his girlfriend. Gun. I don't know that one. Chris um... Maxwell. Ouch. Oh, why have I forgotten the goddamn name of the film? Um, it's got, um, I, I know the actor in it. It's, um, oh, Tesco's wife got the name of the film. What the hell's the goddamn name of the movie? Damn it. Um, I forgot the name of the film. I can't remember. Time him out. Damn it. <laughs> Any idea? No clue for that one. Okay. The answer is Badlands. Oh, shit. Okay. Badlands is good. Okay. Are we ready for the next one? Mm. This is the story of Eileen Wuornos. Gun. Eileen, yep. portrait of a serial killer. That is incorrect. Oh. 
Oh, no. It is not what I have no. from this list. Uh -huh. Any idea? No. Not one I'm familiar with. Okay. That's Monster. Monster. That was Monster, yeah. It's not oh, really... the Shelley's, Shelley's Run one. Yeah. Yes. I've not seen it. Yeah, where she got her Oscar. Yes. So lots of Oscars on this episode. Yeah, yeah. Which is frankly surprising, but okay. Well, yeah. Okay, this is the last question, so you might want to be quick on the mark for this one. I love how I say that and both people instinctually lean into the camera. <laughs> Sorry. No, no need to apologize. I think it's funny. Yeah, yeah. I just have to call it out because our our audience won't be yeah. able to appreciate it the same way that I can. <laughs> we ready? Mm-hmm. This is the story of Tonya Harding. Knife. Yeah. yeah. I, I, Tonya. That is indeed I, Tonya. Not seeing that one today. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet either, but I would know Tonya Harding because, I mean, one, just I, Tonya. Yeah. But two, it's a relatively famous situation that she's got herself in. I know of Tonya. I didn't right, know so it. that. I never knew of I, Tonya. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's okay. just been kind of like a part of the narrative of Margot Robbie trying to get an Oscar, I guess. She was, she was really good in that, I think. Um, it's the first thing where I kind of thought, you know, what? Because she hadn't done that much up to that point. She'd done like Wolf of Wall Street and uh, um, Suicide Squad, the first one. And then this one, I was like, oh, you know what? That, she's, she's really good. All right. So, David, if you'd like to reveal the final scores. Uh, so it was five to Chris Connor uh, winning that one. Uh, Chris Maxwell, unfortunately, didn't get any points. So yeah, tough, tough one on Chris. There were a couple of there were a couple of near misses though. So yeah, it's not it's not like it was a complete washout. No. But yeah, Chris Connor was, wins that one. I was expecting some of the names that I was expecting. I was like, oh, I should, but it was none of the names that I was going to go for. Yeah. Oh, okay. Horror movie inspiration, mm, sci-fi movie inspirations. True. None of them. As it, ah, they went involved. <laughs> sorry. No, sorry. Fair enough. Sometimes that is the nature of the end game. Just where I get my sources. If they haven't covered it, I won't cover it. Yeah, that's fair. But so that is a congratulations to uh, Chris Connor. Well done. Thank How you. do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad I got a few of those right. <laughs> to be fair, yeah, if you're going to stake some of them being your favorite films, it's good that you you were able to get them. Also, just with such speed as well. I knew the films for a couple of, like, obviously I knew Foxcatcher and uh, Monster, but, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have got the links um, from just the yeah. name. But, yeah, it's, it's a good good set of, um, of, you know, quite a diverse set of picks as well. So, as the winner of this game, you now have the choice of which film we'll be discussing in the next episode that it will be applicable to be discussed. So do you want to go with your choice? Do you want to go with Chris's choice as the other contestant? Or do you want to hear either mine or David's uh, films? Uh, I think I'll stick with mine, which I don't think you okay. guys have, have done before. Um, I don't think we would have, no. It's uh, Witness from 1985, okay. um, which I think flies under the radar a bit with Harrison Ford films. Um, but, you know, Kelly McGillis was in it as well just before Top Gun. Um, it's really good. Yeah, it's one of my favorite non-franchisey Harrison Ford films, and it's weird that it's the one that got him like lots of awards attention as well. But I think it was just coming off the back of Star Wars and Indiana Jones, so you know, good time in his career. Okay, excellent. So we've got Witness from yours was nineteen eighty five. February nineteen eighty five. Apparently, yeah. There we go. Nineteen eighty five. 
Fantastic. And so, David, for those who want to follow along at home, where can they watch Witness? Where can they witness Witness? <laughs> <laughs> so you can uh, catch it on Paramount Plus as a part of your subscription, which you can also uh, have as a add-on on Prime uh, and Apple TV. You can also rent it on Apple TV along with all the regulars, Amazon, Sky Store and YouTube. And uh, this episode isn't sponsored by YouTube, by the way. I know that's been mentioned quite a few times. <laughs> uh, but of course, um, hopefully, I guess, maybe there's a Blu-ray or DVD release out there somewhere. It was made in 1985, so I'm assuming this was still in the era in which it would have a VHS release, unlike History of Violence, which was the last VHS release, as we learned today. So yeah, go check out Witness, um, or Witness Witness, as Craig said. And uh, watch along with us at home. That'll definitely be an interesting one as well. Because I think surprisingly, we haven't really covered Harrison Ford's career apart from just the obvious in terms of like, you know, Indiana Jones and Star Wars and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, possibly continuing the theme of we might have a history of violence in this podcast, depending on whether we change uh, (laughs) narrative at some point. Because uh, this one, even by the, the bio is, you know, a sheltered Amish child is the sole witness of a brutal murder in a restroom at a Philadelphia train station. So again, Philadelphia connection there, uh, Chris, in terms of locations. Mm. So yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we can't wait to discuss and see how that one compares and affairs to a history of violence. And uh, yeah, as Craig alluded to, uh, this one will be a bit of a longer wait as we've uh, got our 100th episode celebrations. Uh, if you haven't seen already, look on our socials. We've got... Um, polls and suggestion boxes and everything going out depending on uh, how it all evolves by the time this episode comes out uh, in which you can suggest to us what film you think we should discuss in that 100th episode so it, anything you want to suggest usual sort of like rules in terms of time frame so try to keep it uh, so it isn't too modern so at the moment we're going off 2021 so yeah nothing from uh, 2021 onwards uh, or 2022 onwards i guess it would be and yep we can't wait to sort of see which film that is uh we've got other sort of specials and fun stuff happening around uh, our anniversary as well um so yeah lots of stuff to come uh, but we will eventually get to witness and uh, see what that leads us so thank you both for joining us uh it's been yeah a very interesting deep dive lots of opinions about this film uh and another sort of complex one lots of dark themes lots of uh big actors and uh, obviously a big director with David Cronenberg. So it's been uh, an interesting discussion. Uh, Chris Maxwell, uh, you obviously have been discussing recently some of the projects you've been involved with. So is there anything uh, quickly you just want to shout out or any any progression on what you've been uh, updating us with recently? Certainly. Um, well, recently, uh, last val- this past Valentine's Day, uh, a short film I wrote called Dinner Date was released on, as part of the strange tales youtube channel you can find it on youtube.com forward slash at strange tales um it's, which is a collaboration with my group dramatic moose productions and watchers productions um it's a script i wrote many years ago i'm glad it's finally been released at the uh, if you could all check it out um and also check out the strange tales channel there's some amazing uh short films on there um and some amazing projects to come which i'd love to see um, Dramatic Moose Productions is my theatre company and production company. Um, you can find us at uh, Dramatic Moose Productions. Type to Google uh, at Dramatic underscore Moose on Instagram, uh, at Dramatic Moose on Facebook, and at Dramatic Moose uh, on at Dramatic underscore Moose on X. Uh, as for the watch 
watches, I'd strongly suggest uh, searching them out. You can find them at watchesproductions.com and they're on Facebook and on Instagram and on X. And at the moment, I'm also currently working on a play uh, as a assistant director, a play called Talk, which is a play dealing with uh, mental health awareness, um, but particularly within men. It's a group of friends who've got themselves a pub locked in for the night and they're trying to help a friend out who's going through a really dark patch. Uh, this play will be taking place in the Market Theatre in Cowbridge uh, from Thursday, March 28th to Saturday, March 30th. It um, be lovely if you could all come along. The tickets are all available on Eventbrite as well. Amazing. Lots to check out there. So yeah, please do go check out those channels and those shows. Uh, can't wait to hear all about them uh, again as well, how, how they all go and uh, any sort of feedback you get. Thank so you. thank you, Chris. Uh, Chris Connor, anything you want to shout out? Any places people can find you social-wise or any articles or sort of platforms uh, people should go to? Yeah, I seem to have done a lot around the uh, awards contenders this year. So I've done a few features and, and reviews and interviews around some of those. So I recently had a interview with uh, the Paul Things composer, Yaskin Friend Hendrix, I think is how you pronounce his name, which is very exciting because it's a really you know, interesting score. And I've just done a piece for Radio Times on The Bad Batch as well, Star Wars show, which has just come back for its final season. Um, if you're interested in kind of reading more of my stuff, uh, my X profile is at ChrisConnor96 and Instagram is uh, chrisco 96 underscore and there's links to my portfolio and, and things there. So you can check out more of my stuff. Amazing. Yeah, go check it out. Uh, yeah, definitely a, a great time for entertainment and to be reading up all about those things. Poor Things definitely does have a very crazy and kooky score. And uh, yeah, I'm really glad to see Bad Batch back as well. It's a fantastic piece of uh, animation. So I'm um, hoping to watch uh, the beginning of that as well soon as it's just kicked off. So yeah, uh, thank you for joining us as well, Chris. It's been a pleasure having you on. We can't wait to talk about your uh, recommendation with Witness. Uh, anything lastly from yourself, Craig? I think given the name of this film, there's one thing our audience will have been expecting to have happened throughout this entire episode. So I feel like I need to accommodate them at this point. Ah! What is that? What is that? No? What is that? What is it? What is it? What is violence? What is it? You know, that's what the movie's about. Ladies and gentlemen, on this note, uh, thank you very much for being here. the movie's about.